the first chapter of Hilchas Tain the laws of a plaintiff and defendant. The Rambam begins Hilchas Tain mitzvah's essay achasi that it contains one positive commandment out of the 613 commandments. This is the law of a plaintiff on one that has an admission or one that denies a claim against him. An explanation of this one total of this in Hilchas Tain Perek Rishon, the first chapter, and this perek contains 17 halachas. In general, this chapter will serve as an introduction to the laws of financial disputes in court by describing and giving general conditions of the three types of oaths. There is the highest level, a shvua diaraisa, a shvua shaltera, that ordained by the Torah itself. There is one purely by rabbinic decree, a shvua's heses. And there is an intermediate one, although it is by rabbinic decree, nevertheless it resembles a Torah oath, as the Rambam will explain. Parakarish in the first chapter, Halacha Aleph. In this Halacha, the Rambam gives two out of the three types of Torah-ordained oaths. One person claims that the other one owes him some movable objects, he is not claiming land, and the one who is being accused admits partially to the claim against him. This is known as a meidibimictus. He first must pay the amount that he admits that he owes. And he must take an oath on the rest by Torah decree to deny that he does not owe the rest. That the person says that this is it. And the Gemara explains that the person means to say that only this is what I owe you. With something else I don't owe you. In other words, a case of partial admission. And in this case the Torah says he is required to take an oath. This is the first case of a Torah oath. And so too, even if he completely denies the claim against him. And he says that nothing like this ever happened. However, there is one witness testifying that he must that he is guilty and he must pay. This person also must take a Torah ordained oath. How do we know the law of eight echad? Where does it say in Chumash? So the Ramam explains that there are two proofs. Mipi hashmuolamdu that we learn by the oral tradition. Shakol makom sheshnai machai v'neisim momon echad machai v'shvua. That any place where two witnesses would make him have to pay, then one witness can make him swear, mean hatera, that only two witnesses are valid in Torah law, but even one witness is sufficient to make him take a shvua diaraisa. The Cain lomdu and so too they learned by the oral tradition, the explanation of the Pasik and Dvorim Yud test, Tezvav, the Pasik says, that one witness does not count for any sin or any chattas. So that oral, oral tradition says as follows, that only one witness is has no value as far as any sin or any transgression. However, he can subject the person being testified against to have to take an oath that it's that only applies that he is inval he is not valuable only as far as oven and chattis but in financial matters one witness is sufficient to make the person take a shvua diaraisa there is a total of three people, three situations where a person has to take a biblically ordained shvua. 
The first two we mentioned in the previous halacha, someone that partially admitted a claim against him in movable objects, and also someone that one witness testifies against him. Who is the third? A person who is a watchman. It says regarding the watchman, that an oath of Hashem should be between the both. We already explained the law of the oath that a watchman must take in the laws of Shechidus. All three of these people who must take the biblically ordained oath must take the oath and are thereafter exempt from payment. But there's another category. Those that take an oath and after they swear collect money could gain, for example, Sakhir, a hired worker, which as we explained in El Chashiras, should there be a dispute between the employer and employee whether or not the wages have been paid, the Sakhir, the employee, is allowed to swear, and then he will collect his wages from the employer. Benachbal, so too someone who sustained a personal injury and claims it was a certain person who caused it, and there is circumstantial evidence to support him, he also swears and then collects. And so too, a lender who has a document showing that he is owed money, and he himself says that the document is partially paid. He is only allowed to collect from the borrower after he takes an oath. And so too, any similar case of Nishboyim Vanaitli. And so to any case where there is an oath only as a result of a doubtful claim. For example, partners, whereas we explained earlier in Hilcha Shudfis, that should there be a dispute, one partner claims that the other one cheated him, but he doesn't really know, he only suspects him. A tenant farmer who is being paid for his work by a portion of the crops, and he suspects also he is being cheated, they also call him Nishboim Batakanus Chachamim. They, meaning the category of Nishboim Batakanus and so to the category of those that, that can cause an oath only as a result of doubtful claim, they are all... Oaths by rabbinic decree, not by Torah law. But call Elo Ashvuiz Apa Pishahim Medivri Seifrim Harahim Kein Shaltera Benakitas Chayfetz. And all of these oaths, even though they're by rabbinic decree, nevertheless they're in an intermediate category. They're similar to oaths of the Torah in that in that one must hold a sacred object, such as a Torah scroll or tefillin in some cases. This is this intermediate category of oaths. Now, in the next halacha, the Rambam starts explaining about the lowest level of Shavuot's Hesses. Halacha Gimel. One that claims, has a claim of movable objects against another, and the one who is being accused completely denies the claim against him. And he said, no such thing ever happened. This is one case where we'll see it will be a Shavuot's Hesses, only a pure rabbinic oath. And in the case of Medimimiktsas, he partially admits the claim against him. If that was all it was, it would be a Torah. But over here, there's a variation. And he gives him the amount which is owed immediately. And he says, this is all I owe you, and here it is. And he gives it to him. In this case, our sages say that the amount he gives to him is not considered to be a partial admission. What he gave him, he gave him. And the part that he is not admitting to it, he is considered a kefir hakel. He is completely denying that half, since he gave it right away. A third case, And 
And the truth is that I did owe you money. However, you forgave me. You said I didn't have to pay you back. Or you gave it to me as a gift. Or you sold it to me. Or I returned it to you. This is an, all these cases are also cases of denial. Of kaifer hakel. That the one person claimed that he owes him wheat. And he admitted only that he owes barley. As far as the claim that he owes wheat, he is also a kefir hakel. He's completely denying the claim. In any of these cases, he is exempt from a Torah oath. However, the sages of the, the Gemara decreed that the one who is accused in these cases, the defendant, must take a rabbinic oath in all of these cases, be potter, and only afterwards will he be exempt. And this is not considered similar to an oath of the Torah, since the one who takes the oath does not hold a sacred object. The Rambam says we already explained the laws regulating how a Torah oath is, 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 uh, is taken and how a rabbinic oath is taken in Hilchas Shvuas, in the 11th chapter. In the next three halachas, the Rambam discusses what happens if the one that is supposed to take the oath does not wish to take it. And he will bring up the idea of hepoch shvua, that one reverses the oath. If, for example, one person accuses the other, you owe me money, and he would have to take an oath to deny it and thereby be exempt. He is allowed to reverse it in some cases, as we shall see, that I don't wish to take the oath to be exempt. If you want to take the money from me, then you take the oath that I do owe you the money, and then you can take it. But I will now describe in what cases one is allowed to do such a thing. Halacha Dalit. Anyone that is required to take an oath by Torah decree takes his oath and is thereafter exempt. Let's say he doesn't want to take such an oath. Then the Jewish court goes to his belongings and collects all of the, amount, the entire amount which was claimed against him. Because the plaintiff tells him, Aini Zazmi Din Teira, that I am not going to move from the law of the Torah over here. Oi Shava, Oi Tenli, either take your oath to deny it, or you must give it to me. You have no other choice over here because I wish to go by Torah law. If the defendant does not wish to take an oath under this case and he is required to give, He is allowed to make a general claim of Chedem, of excommunication, so to speak, against any person who might claim, make a false claim against him, but then he still has to give. He cannot make such a declaration against this particular person, but he can make a general, general declaration that anyone that makes a false claim against him should be in chedim, but he is still required to give. This is all a person who is required to make an, take an oath by Torah law. But someone that is required to take only an oath by rabbinic decree, if he's in the intermediate category of someone that takes an oath and thereafter collects, he is not allowed to reverse this oath. That in this case, the plaintiff, he, since he's the, one of the Nishboyim Benaitling, the plaintiff is going to swear and thereby be able to collect his debt. He might want to be Mahapechas Ashvua. Instead of him swearing and taking, he would want the defendant to take such an oath holding a Sefer Torah and deny it. 
In such a case, he is not allowed to do so. He cannot force the defendant to take this oath. Because the defendant can tell him, Take your oath and take the object just like the sages made the enactment for you. And if he does not want to swear, then he can go away. He either must utilize the alternative the sages gave him, otherwise he must leave. However, my teachers have ruled that I do not wish to utilize this enactment that the sages made on my behalf. I want to be considered like any other plaintiff. The regular law of a plaintiff is that he does not take the oath and takes, that he forces the defendant to take the oath and then the defendant is exempt. Let's say he wants the defendant to take the oath. He doesn't want to take the oath in order to have to collect his money. Should he want to stay by Takanas Chacham and be one of the Nishbayim Venaitlin, he would be ha- have to be the one to take the oath. And the defendant need not take one. Now he wants to be like a regular plaintiff. And in this case, the defendant has to take the oath to be exempt. In this case, He can force the defendant to take a rabbinic oath. However, then the defendant has his choice of being Mahapech as a Shavuah. Since this is now only a rabbinic oath, a regular Shavuah says is not one of the Nishpoim Venetli. King Shalteira, he is allowed to be Mahapech. Therefore, being Ratzalahapcha la Teveya, Machaiven is a Teveli Shaveya Yehelechle. Then the defendant can reverse it onto the plaintiff, and we require the plaintiff to take the oath, either take the oath or leave and don't get your money. And in this case, instead of taking this, this more severe oath, Kain Shalteira, hold the sacred object, he would only have to take a rabbinic oath. Halacha hey. What we see from this latest halacha that there's no way in such a case he would be able to force a defendant to take an oath. A defendant either can tell him not to take an oath at all, or in the event he chooses a, the root of a shavuah's assets, then the defendant can reverse it and still make him take the oath. If he is one of these people requiring to take a rabbinic oath, but only one of those that takes an oath and is thereafter exempt. Again, for example, a person that is required to take an oath in order to to disclaim a doubtful claim against him. As we mentioned in Allah base, this is Cain Shaltaira. Or he's just he's taking a regular rabbinic oath because he denied the claim against him fully. And this person, who would anyway not have to pay, he's going to take an oath and there he has to be exempt. So let's say he does not want to take an oath. We place him in excommunication in Nidwe for 30 days. And should he not come and ask to have the excommunication taken off, we administer rabbinic lashes to him. And anyone that has been in Nidoy, in excommunication for 30 days, we give him rabbinic lashes and afterwards we dissolve the ban of excommunication. However, we can never collect from his belongings. Because he is not required by Torah law to take an oath. We mentioned previously that should someone in Allah Chadala, should someone not wish to take an oath, then should he refuse to take it, we collect his objects anyway. But in cases where it's not Minatera, then we are not allowed to do so. And here the Rambam gives some general principles. Anyone that is 
requiring to take a rabbinic oath, a pure rabbinic oath. Should he wish to reverse this oath onto the plaintiff, the defendant wishes to reverse it and not take the oath, reverse it to the plaintiff. Then it will be the plaintiff who takes the oath and then he will collect his money. There is no one who takes a rabbinic oath, a pure rabbinic oath, and thereafter collects, except this person who has had a rabbinic oath reversed onto him. But normally the defendant would take the rabbinic oath and be exempt. Instead, the defendant has reversed it onto the plaintiff, and he takes the rabbinic oath and collects. And the only oath which is able to be reversed is a Rishvuas Hesus, this pure rabbinic oath. But a Torah decreed oath, or one that is rabbinic decree, but similar to the Torah holding a sacred object, one is not allowed to reverse such an oath. We can only apply a rabbinic oath when the claim is a certain one. But should the plaintiff's claim be only a doubtful one, then the defendant need not swear. For example, that it seems to me, says the plaintiff, that you, that you have a man a hundred of mine. Or the plaintiff says, That I lent you a hundred, and it seems to me that you didn't pay me back. Another example. He says, My father told me that you owe me a hundred. Or that he told me in front of witnesses that you have of mine a mana. Or that you have of mine a mana. That such and such a thing was stolen from my house, and you were the only one there. And it seems to me, it's very close to me that you are the thief. And or I counted up my money and I found something missing. And maybe you were the one that fooled me in the account, in the amount. In any of these cases, the plaintiff doesn't have a definite claim. He thinks his father told him, or or he, he claims that maybe you're the one. He himself doesn't know for sure. In any of these cases, the defendants, when a defendant says that I don't have anything of yours, he completely denies it. The defendant is even exempt from a rabbinic oath. So to any similar case. Since the, he is sure that he owes nothing, and the claim against him is only a doubtful one, he need not take even a rabbinic oath. In the previous halacha, we discuss when the plaintiff is in doubt. In, this, in the next halacha, we discuss what happens if the defendant is in doubt. Let's say the plaintiff says, Kur That you have a kur, a certain amount of wheat of mine in your possession, and I am sure about it. The defendant says, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. In this case, the defendant takes a rabbinic oath that he does not know. He cannot take an oath that he doesn't owe anything. He must take an oath that he doesn't know anything. And then he is exempt. Since he did not admit that he owes anything at all, although the plaintiff is sure and he is not, he is still exempt. So too, any similar case. Incidentally, incidentally, from the Alter Rebbe Shulchan it would seem that this applies only in the, in the, in the human court. But the 
to satisfy one's obligation, as Rama will discuss in the next halacha, for in such a case one would have to pay in order to satisfy Let's say the plaintiff says the same claim that you have a, one quarter of, of my wheat. But the defendant doesn't answer that he doesn't know. He says, I don't know whether it's wheat or barley I owe you. If it was wheat, I owe you more. If it was barley, I owe you less. He also takes an oath that he doesn't know. However, he must pay back barley. In other words, he knows for sure that he owes at least that amount, the amount of barley. He doesn't know whether he owes even more of chitim. So he must take an oath in order to not have to pay back the claim which is against him, to pay back the value of wheat. Even after he takes the oath, however, he must pay back the value of barley. The king called Kiyasib is so to any similar case. Halachatess. Mona Yeshli Biyotchabadai, the plaintiff says you have one hundred of mine certainly. But Then the defendant answers him, It's true, I did owe you a hundred. But I don't know whether I returned it to you or whether I still have not returned it. In such a case, it's worse than what we discussed in Allah Ches. And therefore, Chayiv L'Shalim, he's required to pay. And the plaintiff doesn't have to take any oath, even a rabbinical. Because he himself knows, the plaintiff himself knows, that, he, that he, the person knows him money, therefore he doesn't have to swear. He is making a definite claim against the defendant. It is the defendant's problem. He is in doubt as to whether he is exempt or not. Since he is in doubt, he is the one that has to pay. But the plaintiff need not, need not even swear. But can call Kayyitsub so to any similar case. But if there is no claim against him, the plaintiff doesn't say anything at all. And the person that, is, that thinks he owes money himself admits it. That I, I robbed something from you. I stole something from you. Or I borrowed from you a hundred. Or a vichop hifkid atli mona. Or my father left with me a hundred to give back to you. And in any of these three cases where he stole, borrowed, or was given a deposit, and I don't know whether I returned it or not. He is not sure, but there is no claim against him. He is making the whole problem himself. In this case, he is not required to pay, because we wouldn't even know about the problem without him. However, this is only in the human court, as far as the claim against him that he is exempt. But as far as Hashem is concerned, to be to satisfy his obligation vis-à-vis Hashem, in this case, he is, then he is required to pay. Let's say there is the following conversation. The plaintiff begins and says, That there is a hundred of mine in your hands. In other words, you owe me a hundred. And the defendant answers, I don't owe you anything. So therefore we have a case of Kev Ben-Hakel. Since he is a complete denial, he must take a rabbinic oath. And this is what the plaintiff answers him. Yeshava has his valet. That take a rabbinic oath, and only then can you go away. In other words, you must take this rabbinic oath to deny my claim against you. However, the defendant answers him that I want to reverse the oath on you. He answers him, no, I'm not going to swear. You take an oath and then you can take the money. But I refuse to take it. The question is, how long can this reversal keep going back and forth? Let's say at this point, 
that I don't want to take an oath. You tell me to take the oath and then collect. I don't want to take the oath. At this point, the defendant can tell him, either take an oath and take your money, or go away and leave me alone. And there is no more reversal after this. As the Gemara explains, if they would be able to keep reversing it, you would never be able to stop. There can only be one reversal. That is, the defendant reverses it onto the, onto the plaintiff, and should he refuse to swear, then he loses any claim to the money. However, he can make a general statement of excommunication, a ban against anyone that owes me money and doesn't give it to me. But he cannot force the defendant to swear. My teacher's rule, anyone who is required to take an oath, whether of Torah decree or rabbinic decree, even the lowest degree of rabbinic oath, he is allowed to make this general claim of excommunication before he swears against anyone that is making a a claim for something he does not have to, that he doesn't really owe, in order to make him take an oath for nothing. In other words, that the person is not making him swear uselessly. And the one that is requiring him, that is claiming and forcing him to make this oath, must answer Amen to his claim that anyone that makes a, a, a warrantless claim should be in Chayrim. And only only afterwards do we force him to take the oath. But the Kona table of Baladin, the Ramam says this is an excellent enactment for the benefit of litigants, in order to prevent them from making false claims against each other. And Hashem's name will not be mentioned in vain, because Hashem's name is mentioned when one takes an oath. And will not cause needless oaths to be taken that's once the the, the mashbia was the answer amen to a claim of excommunication against anyone making a warrantless claim and claim enforcing an oath this will automatically cause him to be more careful with his claims and prevent any falsehood from taking place the next two halachas deal with the concept of Gilgul Shvua. That once you have, can already make someone take an oath, if you have any other financial claims against them, you can include all of these claims in the other oath and make one accumulated oath with all the claims together. Halacha Yudbeis. Anyone required to take an oath, either by Torah law or rabbinic law, the plaintiff can literally roll on to him, in other words, add on any other claim that if the defendant would admit, he would have to pay money. Any financial claims, in other words, the plaintiff has, he can add on to this oath. And how far is this ability of Gilgul? In other words, to what extent can one make a financial claim? So that Amram says it goes till the financial claim goes, not only that he owes money, but he owes his very self. Until he says, that I want you to include in the oath, you defendants are taking to deny my claim, that you were not sold to me as a Jewish slave, and you're still my slave. As the law is, that a Jewish slave is sold for a maximum of six years. So he must, will be forced to take an oath to deny that he is a slave. However, 
We already explained in Perek Yeralaf, Allah Chates, and Hilchas Chiris, that we do not pile on such oaths to an employee who is swearing. As it says over there, that when... Sacher is, is swearing in order to collect his wages from his employer. He takes only this oath, and the employer cannot force him to swear regarding anything else. Halacha Yud Gimel. Mishnas Chayiv Shvua Afilo Heses. Someone required to take even a rabbinic oath. And the plaintiff begins to pile on other financial claims that originally were not claimed. And the defendant sees all these other claims being added on to him. And he gets scared and says, I don't want to swear regarding all of this. I just want to pay for the original claim that which which was against me that I would have had to take an oath. In other words, originally he, he was there was a financial claim against him, and the defendant denied it and was required to take an oath. Now he has to take an oath already. The plaintiff is piling him on other claims. He refuses to, to swear on these other claims and says, "I'm not. I see that I have no longer the choice of swearing regarding this one thing. You're going to make me swear on many. So therefore, I take back the whole idea. I don't want to take an oath at all. I'll pay you the money." Ain't shamingly. We don't listen to the defendant. But we tell the defendant, Either pay him everything that he claims against you, not only the original claim, but all of these additional claims he's now piled upon you that he is sure about. Or take an oath and then you can be exempt. Either you have to swear to everything or pay everything. Once the claims have been piled up against you, you do not have the choice of backing out. Someone that, a plaintiff who claims against the defendant various claims, he does, is not allowed to make him swear on every single claim. Rather, the defendant takes only one oath on everything. Let's say he is required to take two different oaths regarding two claims, one of them a lighter and one of them a more serious oath, for example, one rabbinic and one by Torah law. We make him take the more serious one, and then Magalgal we roll upon him. In other words, accumulate all the other oaths and include it in this more strict oath. Anyone that makes a claim against a defendant with such a claim, that if he would admit to it, he would not have to pay anyway. In such a case, even though he should deny the claim against him, we do not force him to take a rabbinical, and he is does not even, and the plaintiff is not even allowed to make a chaydam stam a general claim of excommunication against someone that has, is holding his money. Why? Because in this case, even if he would admit, he still wouldn't have to pay any money. Case that, for example, Let's say the plaintiff brings up the court and says, You told me you were going to give me a hundred. And the defendant answers, I never did such a thing. In such a case, what would be if he admitted, Yeah, I did say I was going to give you something. Would he have to do it? No, because a mere verbal declaration does not carry with it any financial obligation, according to the Torah. Therefore, even since, even if he admitted, he still wouldn't have to pay. We do not make him take an oath, and the plaintiff cannot make a statement of chedem against him. Because even if he admits such a thing, he wouldn't have to pay anything. Therefore, he does not have to swear, and the plaintiff cannot make a statement of chedem. 
And so too, Ata Kilalta Oisi, he says that you cursed me. Or Ata Itseis Olai, Shem Ra, that you told a lie about me. And he answers, Lo Hoyez Vorem Eilam, that this never happened. And Machrim Mazel. He still cannot make any claim, any ban of excommunication. And so to any similar case, where even an admission of the claim would not result in any financial responsibility. An oath or chedim is not allowed. This and the last halacha of Aperek will deal with the concept of meidah b'knas poter. In cases of knas, of a penalty that our sages have decreed upon someone, the principle is that if the one who would have to pay the penalty himself readily admits that he did this act and therefore owes it, he is exempt from the extra penalty which either the Torah puts on someone or, or the, the sages put on someone. Let's say one person inflicted personal injury on another. The law is that the person must pay five separate types of uh, compensation, as explained in the fifth chapter of Hilchus Chevel Mazik. He must pay, pay Nezek, Tsar, Ripui, Shevus, and Boishas. Nezek is the decrease in value. Should we imagine this person be paid, be sold as a slave on the market? Tsar is to compensate him for the pain which he has been caused. However, both of these, since they really are not concrete financial laws, are considered to be knas, like penalty. The medical cost, ripui, and shemis, the amount he has lost as a result of his not working, these are considered to be plain financial compensations. Boishas, or the shame the person has been forced to endure, is also not really considered a knas, as the Rabbim explains there in Hilchas Chayvul Mazik. We will see now what would be if a person is such a, such a situation, we say, it said in Allah Chatezvav, that only if he admitted to the claim against him would he have to pay. And so here we see that a maidib a knas is positive. If a person admits to a case where he would have to pay a penalty, is exempt from paying. So now, if a person denies, is a kefir hakel against something which which involves knas. Does he have to take an oath or not? The plaintiff says that you damaged me, you caused me personal injury. And the defendant answers that such a thing never happened. In such a case, the defendant must take a rabbinic oath. That even though a person would not have to pay a penalty, a knas, by his own admission, and therefore we might say that by, by since how can we make him take a rabbinic oath here? Because if he admitted it, he would be exempt from payment. Nevertheless, he would still have to pay the, the, the cost for not working and the medical cost and the shame against him, as the Ramam explains there. These are not considered knas, and therefore his admission would cause him to have to pay money. Let's say the claim was Ata Vyashtani, that you caused me, you shamed me, and the answer is, the defendant answers, Lo such a thing never happened. So in this case, Im Hayyubamakamsha gave him by Knossais, if it's a place at least where they collect these these uh, these penalties, Harizanishpahasas, he has to take a rabbinic oath to substantiate his claim. Why should he have admitted he would have to pay this Bashas this shame? Therefore, since he, his admission was caused him to have to pay, he must therefore take a rabbinic oath. However, when does this whole principle apply? That when a person admits something which would, would cause him to have to pay a knas, he is exempt from payment. Only the, the thing that he is admitting to, he would have to pay only a penalty. For example, when he says, I caused personal injury to such a person. 
But if he says, it's true, I did cause personal injury to this person, but there's uh, something else involved here than my own admission. However, he also provided witnesses that I damaged him in court, and they required me to give such and such an amount as a result of the damage I caused. This one is required to pay, because here he's not called Medebeknas, he's not admitting anything over here of any value with witnesses, and we know that he caused this damage. So why is he admitting he's not Medebeknas over here? We anyway know that he has to pay. Let's say the plaintiff claims that the best in the court required you to pay me a hundred dinner because you damaged me. And he claims that such a thing never happened. Over here the claim is whether he is would be a made of a knas in the first place. This person must take a rabbinic oath to substantiate his denial. Because if he would admit that the Bezdin required him to pay, then he would have to pay. This is not even a Medeba Knas. Therefore, must take a rabbinic oath. I can't go to any similar case where his denial would cause him to have to pay money.